Hey, this is Pastor, and you're listening to Behind the Decks. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Decks, event podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with DJs and producers from the UK and beyond, discussing their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the decks. My special guest for this episode, Ventus, is another brilliant producer in the future funk music scene. His name is Ewan, or as he is otherwise known, Melanade. Originally from Scotland, where there's a thriving future funk scene, Ewan has been producing for a number of years and is widely respected across the community. Burnout, self-care and prioritising what's important in life for your mental health are all on the menu. Get yourself comfy, have a listen, as I go behind the decks with Melanade. Ewan, welcome to Behind the Decks, mate. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm slowly making my way through the whole future funk scene, it seems, for this series. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. First things first, how are you and how are you coping with this very weird, very not nice new normal we're living in right now? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Future funk artists are always cool people to have on. But yeah, I'm doing all right. I was working from home for a little bit. I'm back in the office now, but yeah, I've coped with it pretty fine, so doing good. We've got a lot to get cracking on with, so shall we just get started? Let's start with your journey as Melanade, Ewan. I asked this to all my special guests on the series, so just tell me a bit about how your love affair with music began. Tell me a bit about some of your favourite records growing up, maybe your music idols and inspirations, and then how you first got into producing. Originally, I found the whole French house scene through Daft Punk initially. I saw Tron Legacy at the theatre. The music was super cool, even if the film wasn't so great. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I got into that, got into, I found Future Funk online, found the community, and then just started making stuff. I obviously wasn't good at all at the start, but I just practiced and practiced over the years and it built and I managed to build a at least a small following and have fun making some tunes. I've spoken to Mr. Wax and Snowdream about how their love for Future Funk began, but for you, how did it start? You know, just briefly sum it up for the listeners who want a bit of a snapshot into it. I always describe it to people as disco on speed. Would that be an accurate reflection of the genre? Yeah, that's accurate. A lot of people have probably heard of Artsy Music, which is one of the main YouTube channels. So I was just as you do scrolling through YouTube, you get it on your recommended and you find it and you find this disco on speed. It's sugary and upbeat and it's super cool. And you dive in and more than anything, the, the artists and the people in the community are really friendly and really nice, and really open to new people. So great people and great music. What's not to love? And who are your, some of your idols in the future funk scene and who maybe inspired you to join this community and had an impact on you? And, and maybe what's some of your favourite future funk records as well? Starting off, since I came from a more French house direction, there's an artist called The Phantom's Revenge, who is more to the French house side, but I just love his stuff. He's quite a shy, um, he doesn't interact as much as the other artists. He was the inspiration for me starting. And then people like Sundare Ali. I had heard of Mr. Wax, or well, Connor, really, (laughs) online as well. He's a great guy. And of course, last year we did a show in London, which the whole UK scene met up. And that was really amazing just to meet everyone. So, you know, Ev.xc, Conscious Thoughts, Chris, there's Jacob as well, Strawberry Station. So all really great guys. Let's talk about Melanade a bit more now. So first off, where did the name come from? I always get asked this question. People think it's like some crazy stuff 
story. It's not really because honestly, I can't. It's quite disappointing because I can't really remember. I think it was either I typed in. I was looking for a name for the project after putting an album up or something uh, that I wanted to do. So it was either a random name generator or it was. I don't know if you remember Lucasade brought out the melon flavored Lucasade, which is like disgusting. But it could be named after that. So I can't quite remember. But it, it was one of those two. You've spoken about how you found the future funk scene a really welcoming community, and that's certainly something that Connor and Snowdream both said on the pod in their episodes. Have you also found it a place where you felt comfortable maybe opening up some of your peers if you have ever struggled with your mental health or if you've had a problem with a certain track or an issue within the industry itself? Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the people I met early on, I think it was Reddit originally, was Mayor, who's a Future Funk franchise artist. We were due to meet this year because there's meant to be a big show in Canada, but of course COVID kind of screwed everything. But I've known him for like four or five years online now. I just feel I can discuss anything with him, you know, tracks, how we're doing generally, because there's a lot of stuff going on in the world in terms of politics and everything else. But we don't want to get in too political. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. So it's good to have someone to talk to. And what impact does producing have on your mental health when you're in the studio or your bedroom working on new records? Does it suit your personality? Is it a really great release, something cathartic when you're feeling down or perhaps a bit of escapism? Yeah, I would say it's escapism, certainly, because you just kind of focused on creating this soundscape. And especially when you're doing an album, you're kind of trying to think of what theme and what place you want to take the listener to, I guess. I would say also it's can become a chore if you do it too much it's good to take a break from these things as always i'm taking a break now since my new album's done and out so yeah it's very fun but make sure to take a break and when it comes to djing how did you start this and how do you balance it alongside your skills as producer because we must make clear that these are two very different skill sets although i think sometimes the music audience don't think it that way yeah they overlap i'm certainly not as much of a dj as i am as a producer i originally started doing as you do, you get some decks and you do some parties for friends or I did one at school for someone's birthday, I think. And then it came to Future Funk. We did Groove Horizons last year, which was my first kind of proper show in a club. It was super fun. No other way to fit that, really. I was part of the organizing of it, which was quite cool. Of course, Essential was meant to be even bigger. That didn't happen, but we're planning Groove Horizons 2 for next year, which should be super fun. I'm really looking forward to that and I hope I can come along if this whole situation clears up. <laughs> Yes, please do, please do. Let's talk about a moment during your career, if you've had one, where you felt accepted or that, you know what, I'm good at this and I can succeed. Has that ever happened? Yeah, I'd say the response I got on my self-titled album when I put it out was way, way more than what I'd expected. So people really liked the album. It sold out pretty fast. But then I got a vinyl offer to press it on vinyl. And for me and a lot of others, getting a pressing on vinyl is like, you've made it in the sense of, I have a vinyl. So that was really good to see the feedback and how far that album spread. So that was very satisfying. Yeah. Let's talk about your productions as Melanade now in a bit more detail. So I dug right to the back of your discography and I found what I think are your very first tracks you put out on an album called The Memory Collective. You collaborated with French house producer Functimizer on. If you can cast your mind back, just tell me a bit how this came about and how you reflect on those first few productions as Melanade. Yeah, so that album came about when Mayor, who I mentioned, and Functimizer set up 
Cerise Records, which is a little online club sort of thing. It was actually very instrumental in a lot of future funk artists now because here Tadamatsu, Pop Up, myself, Mayor, all came from Cerise Records. So I collab with Functimizer. We did a kind of half and half album and it was really fun to bounce ideas off of one another. And it was my first attempt at really making something, an album project that was cohesive and good sounding. Um, I think it came out okay. <laughs> it was okay. It was one of my first things. But yeah, it was just such a joy to work with Functimizer. Yeah. In the months that followed that, you put out a range of remixes and singles, including Bitwise and a remix of a record by fellow Future Funk producer Mo Shop, where you experimented, I think it would be fair to say. You didn't just produce Future Funk records. I definitely heard some French touch in there as well as some lo-fi hip-hop. Was that an important period for you as a producer in finding and honing your sound? Yeah, for sure. I use singles and remixes to experiment in between albums and find some interesting new stuff. The Moe Shop remix was something I was proud of. I actually entered it in the remix competition didn't win i was pleased with how it came out and yeah i think it's good to experiment a little bit from time to time you put out your debut album dream plaza in 2018 just tell me about how this came about the mental process behind it the sound you wanted to create and were there any nerves or anxieties in the build-up and how did you feel once it was out there yeah so originally that album i had wanted to do a chill hop lo-fi hip-hop vapor wavy thing and i had done a few tracks it was based off of the original track that was called Dream Plaza, which I managed to make that I really liked. In between making that, I actually had a trip to Japan with my family. So we went to Japan for, I think it was two weeks, and went all around the main tourist areas. And it was really nice to go somewhere completely foreign and different. And that helped really get the aesthetic, you would say, in vaporwave terms for the sound and for the album. And then I came back, I finished it, and it was decent. Corespect Records did some tapes. Shout out to Alan, who's an amazing guy who runs that. And what was the reaction to the album itself? Did it give you a validation or a a self-esteem boost that you could succeed in this scene and and the industry more widely, maybe? Yeah, for sure. The tapes sold out. It took a little while, but it sold well. And even though the feedback wasn't super wide-ranging, the feedback I did get was very positive. And I, I was glad to take aim at an aesthetic and do it and have it come out decent. You put out an EP after this called K-Hits 97. This EP has loads of different sounds coursing through it. There's some city pop, there's some disco, some jazz, and some lovely chilled hip-hop beats with some really clever samples taken from old radio shows. I think that's a bit of a, a theme in future funk records, I think. Tell me a bit about this project and what it meant to you and your mental health. Yeah, so that was planned to be an album originally. I was disappointed in the... I didn't manage to finish it because the tracks are sort of vertical slices of different sounds. They're all quite short. So I did the first half of the album. I didn't really feel that I had done it justice, I think I would say. I put it out. I just wanted to get some feedback on it, really. I put it out on Correspect Records as a digital release. It got some feedback that it was good, but it didn't sell very well. and It didn't get a, a lot of plays, didn't get a very good response. But I wouldn't call it a failure, but it was good to take a step back and receive some feedback and failure is how you learn. And how did you learn from that? You know, what kind of learnings did you take? Because I always say that making mistakes is definitely something I struggle with, but I've tried to embrace more. Got a picture on my wall from Mac Miller that says, if you didn't make mistakes, you wouldn't get far. So what did you learn from this EP that, in your words, you say that you viewed it as not as successful as the others? Yeah, I think it was just generally some of the ins and outs of 
production. I had tried some different production techniques in terms of mixing and compression. I had tried some different sampling stuff that was maybe more liberal in its use of samples. I changed direction from going to the hip hop kind of flamingosis, if you've heard of him, style of things, to something that was more my own, I think. Your sophomore album until your last album was my favourite body of work and I rinsed Take Me to the Top on a weekly basis. Just tell me a bit about this album and how you perhaps evolved your sound from the previous body of work. Melonade contains some older tracks. The oldest one is actually from 2016 called Dreams We Share. It's got Bitwise Angel in there as well. I added some new disco house songs to it and collated it and really it was a collection of all my best work over the previous three years that people had really liked and I kind of put that all into one package with a really nice cover and thanks to Mocha Yume who does my art he's an amazing visual artist so I packaged that all up I sent it to Business Casual so Business Casual is obviously a big label in the scene I don't think a lot of people know this but I had applied to release there three times and I had been rejected three times. So this one was the fourth one and it got through. It was really good. So I was happy to get through. And obviously the response to that was way more than I ever expected. So Less third time's a charm, more fourth time's a charm. Your third album, Splash, came out very recently. And for me, just speaking personally, it's your best work yet. It's got the consistency of Young Bay's Bay 5, in my opinion, and I think is just a great summation of what future funk is all about what was the mental process like for this album and how proud of you are of it now it's finally out here after every album i try to make something at least as good as that if not better so i want to keep improving i felt it was going to be difficult to since i got such a big response on the self-titled one it was kind of daunting to try and make something as if people were expecting something even better. I think I managed to get a decent album. Personally, I don't think it's as good as Melonade, but it's, it's not up for me to decide, you know. I was happy to get it out, but so far I've had a really good response from it, obviously from yourself and from others in the community. They really like it. So I guess I was pleased that even though I maybe didn't hold something I'd made in such high regard, other people really liked it. And that's, that's the point of making music. You don't make it for yourself, you make it for other people to enjoy. So it was really good to have that. Producing as you have for over five years now, Ewan, what do you think you've learned about yourself as a producer and a DJ and what has music taught you about yourself as a person, do you think? I think I didn't used to see myself as a creative person and... Over the course of five years, I've just generally became more creative, I guess. I think a lot of people maybe shy away from creative stuff like music or drawing, etc. Because initially they suck. But everyone, when they initially does creative stuff, they suck. That's just how it is when you learn something new. You suck. But you have to kind of get through that initial period of you're bad and just practice and practice and practice. Keep banging against the wall until you get something decent. And of course, the feedback is crucial for that. Other people in the community giving you feedback is crucial. So I couldn't be here without other people where I am now so yeah it's just taught me how to be more creative and if you make something bad don't get down and just keep going out as a producer who also balances a full-time job mate what are some of the realities that people might not see I talk a lot about the myth of the superstar DJ on behind the decks do you want to just talk about that and for any listeners who might not know about certain things that DJs have to do when they're also managing full-time or part-time jobs yeah so I work nine to five now I work as a programmer currently for a video games company which is quite nice but I guess people sometimes don't appreciate how much time goes into music and albums you see a lot of 
certainly people in the charts putting out you know an album every year but they don't realize it's not just them they have a team of 50 writers and 50 producers behind them who can just pump this stuff out so when it's smaller artists in the smaller music communities like you don't really see them staying up in front of the screen till 2am trying to mix that kit just perfectly i think when you offer criticism maybe hold in mind that decent stuff takes time and certainly if you're waiting for something to come out also hold that in mind you touched on something interesting there which i've spoken about with quite a few djs which is this idea of music perfectionism culture and this idea of spending you know hours and hours on ironing out any imperfection or slight blemish in a tune is that something that you've experienced and has it ever impacted your mental health as well i'd say for some songs possibly i'm not a perfectionist so i don't have that issue much but one of the tracks which was some type of way with jade and unibeat that track i put the most effort into that one took over six months so that was as opposed to the other tracks which i was fine with some blemishes as you say this one was six months of work i needed to get perfect every drum perfect so like i mentioned before it's always good to take a break and step away from stuff to rest your ears and then come back to it fresh but i think that applies to a lot of things in life Looking ahead now, you said to me off air you're about to take a bit of a break from music. Why did you come to this decision? Yeah, I'm on break now. It was mostly because, uh, so I graduated from uni late last year and then I found this current job a few months after. So I've been doing music now for, it's coming up on six years actually. I wanted to do Splash, my recent album, as, as a huge thank you to all my fans and people who listen to my music and everyone in the community. But like I said, it's good to take a break. I feel now is the time for a break. And I want to do some other stuff. I'm making a solo game dev project at the moment, which is a different creative avenue. And then I want to return later on. I don't know how long. At some point, I want to return and do some more music. But yeah, just taking a break for now. Taking a rest. And just finally, Ewan, for anyone wanting to get into producing or making music or DJing, what message or advice would you give them from your experience? I think similar to one of the other points I touched on before is that don't worry if your first track is garbage because everyone's first track is garbage. So if you really want to do music production or you really want to do anything in life, you have to work at it. It's not going to happen overnight. You can't just post a future funk song and then be Macross the next day. You need to sit down and really realize that good stuff takes a lot of time investment. So if you're prepared to take the time investment, you should do that. But just think about your commitments first and whether you really want to do this sort of thing. We've talked about Melonade. Let's go behind the decks and talk about your own journey, Ewan. So firstly, why don't you talk to me about your early life, your childhood, your teenage years when you grew up in Scotland and whether there were any early mental health experiences during this time you can pinpoint looking back. Who's the Ewan we meet here? Yeah, so I wouldn't say there's major issues, but as a background, I grew up in Scotland outside of Glasgow, but it was a very countryside affair. So I lived in a house in the countryside, you know, with a big garden and lots of nature around. So that was good for me growing up, I think. One of the main things that I did early on was part of a rugby team. Rugby was my main thing for a lot of years in terms of sport. I don't do it anymore now, but I think playing sport and those aspects of teamwork and communication and everything is really, really good for kids growing up, especially. Taking that forward into high school and eventually uni and then eventually a job, I think those skills that you learn apply to a lot of things in life. 
And did rugby ever allow you, looking back, to kind of fit in more easily? Did it give you that protection? Did you ever feel like school was probably a better experience because of it, for good or worse? The rugby team was actually separate from school. So I think it was good to have a group of friends who I could interact with out with school. Because even though... I feel like older people, when they talk about kids going to primary school, they're like, oh, they're not adults. They don't do a real job. It's easy. It's like when you're a kid and going to primary school and going to high school, of course, they're not doing adult jobs because they're not adults. They're kids. So when I do a nine to five, I don't have homework when I come home, but kids do. Kids get homework. I don't know. I think adults, when they talk about kids going through primary school and high school, they're often way too harsh on some of the things that as a kid and as a teen, you have to go through because they just forget how it is. And especially now with the pandemic, and everything was toxic masculinity ever something you experienced playing rugby or during school we try and break it down a lot on this pod Ewan but you know things like homophobia if you showed a certain emotion as a man or being told you're weak or man up and stuff was that ever something you ever experienced growing up or did you kind of avoid it luckily I think one of the good things about rugby especially and maybe sports like football as well is obviously rugby and football are, I guess they were more male dominated. Obviously, the, there's more women coming through now, which is great. But on the pitch, you know, in rugby, there's a lot of fisticuffs sometimes. There's a lot of testosterone. There's a lot of adrenaline. There's a lot of high running emotions. So certainly playing rugby is very good for if you're in a panic situation or if you're in an adrenaline inducing situation, you can be as a stone, calm yourself. And if there's a fist fight going on, you can step in, you can break that up. So again, rugby is, I think, in terms of toxic masculinity, really good for teaching young people about stressful situations and how to deal with those. You get to university now. Was it something that you wanted to do or had second thoughts about? Did you feel like many guests have said on the pod that university was the be all and end all? And did you feel that pressure? I think, again, touching on adults treating young people kind of harshly. I don't think people who are older realize what uni is now as opposed to what it was. So I think a lot of adults who've either never been to uni or have not experienced what modern uni is, it's not a cakewalk. You don't go there to color in and play in sand. It's nine to five. You have you wake up in the morning, you go to lectures, you come back at five, and then you need to read up on all this stuff for two or three hours. And you need to go to bed and do it all again. They don't hand out degrees like sweet. So there's pressure. There's a lot of work to do. Some people can deal with it. Some people can't. Thankfully, I went to a uni which has a really good support network for students, and that's very important. So I think focusing on keeping your stress level down during uni is super important. First year and second year weren't too stressful, but as you go on, my course was four years. So really, once you get to the tail end of third year and fourth year, you kind of just want to be done. You kind of want to just be finished with it and get it out of the road and move on. You described uni to me off air as a real slog. I'm sure you're referring to the third and fourth years of your time there. Just expand on that a little bit for me, if you could. As I mentioned, the first and second years, the part of the course I was in, obviously it differs from course to course. Really, the first and second year was bringing everyone up to speed with programming, electronics, that kind of thing. I had already done some of that, so it was not much of a workload. Going into third year, you get more workload. And then by the fourth year, you have to do your, obviously your dissertation or your main project or whichever. And really by the end of the four years, you just want the piece of paper. As I said, going to lectures every day, coming back. The only break I had had was during my summers. And during summer, I was working a part-time job. So really after the four years, I just wanted a break. And I think, again, touching on what I'd said earlier, break, resting is key for everyone. 
University was where you got into music production and DJing, but such was the negativity that your course was bringing you at times. You came quite close to quitting music. Is that right? Yeah, that was more to do with less than the uni itself, more with just myself. I think I was a bit frustrated in that I wasn't getting where I was wanting to be quick enough. But again, I learned and just take my own advice. You know, it takes time to get there. For example, there's some Japanese artists talking about City Pop. Back in the day, they weren't so successful. 40 years later, now, they're becoming really successful, let alone me taking like five years. Sometimes it can take like 30 years. So you just have to be prepared for if you want something, you got to work at it. After you graduated, given what you'd gone through, was it a relief? Do you still look back on it as a massive achievement? Now, what were the emotions and feelings going through your mind? I was pleased I got the highest class degree that I could. So I was certainly pleased with that. And yeah, I felt it was an achievement, certainly. But funnily enough, I still view Melanade as a bigger achievement (laughs) than the degree. Because even though it's good to have the qualification, having a degree doesn't automatically mean you're more intelligent or smart than everyone else. It just means you have a piece of paper which says, you can do this pretty well. That's it at the end of the day. While I think it was good for me, uni isn't for everyone. I think there's this expectation sometimes in modern times that every young person has to go to uni. You don't. If uni's not for you, don't go. There's plenty of routes into employment or apprenticeships or whatever. Uni is not the be-all and end-all. Exams are not the be-all and end-all. You can go any route. You decided to make the move from Scotland to England after you graduated. Just tell the listeners about why you wanted to do this, your motivations and, and how much of a challenge that was. Really, it was for the job. I really wanted to work in a video games company because it was something interesting. I think by now, if I'd have been working in a bank programming databases, I would be bored to tears. So I wanted a job which was at least slightly creative and didn't bore me out of my mind. So I was offered a job down in England. I couldn't find one in Scotland and I needed money to buy food to live. So (laughs) that was the motivation behind that. You arrive in this new country, a new city. I'm presuming you didn't know many people. What impact did this move have on your mental health? Did it take you a while to adjust or did you settle fairly quickly? It was a little bit stressful moving. The company had a deal which was pending and my employment contract was dependent on that deal being signed through. So I had taken a bit of a leap and moved down with my stuff without having a guaranteed employment contract, but it went through. I got there. I've got settled now. So after the initial stress of moving, as there always is, I'm doing well so far. So all good. Your full-time job, as you said, is in game developing. I'm a bit of a gaming nerd. I don't play as much as I did when I was younger, but I still do love a massive RPG. What were some of the games you played that had the biggest impact on you or your mental health? I find gaming such a good escapism now. Is that the same for you? Yeah, I use it for, you know, you come home after a long day, you just want to shoot some stuff (laughs) or something. I think certainly I've met a lot of people and had some very fun times. Video games, I think, again, touching on what I said earlier, a lot of adults who don't understand it see as you're sitting in a basement alone and you're tapping on a keyboard but you know you're always in a call with people you're always talking and you're you know if you're in a team game you've got teamwork involved in there and it's just a really good social fun time so i played a lot of minecraft early on which was very fun and had the creative side to it played a lot of shooters so team fortress 2 certainly during high school was after school all the friends go home, we jump on, we have a session, all very fun. I've been playing a lot of Warframe recently with my friends as well. That's a very grindy game. But yeah, certainly it's much more social than people make it out to be, I think. 
Being a game developer isn't the glitz and glamour I'm sure a lot of geeks think it is and a lot of the general public think it is. A lot of the time it's long hours, short deadlines and very, very high pressure to get a game out, particularly if they're AAA games. You know, I'm thinking the likes of GTA or The Last of Us Part 2, these big AAAs that have massive expectations and have 100, 200, 300 studio teams. Just tell the listeners about your experience as a developer and the realities that some gamers might not see. Yeah, so currently I think it's good that I work for quite a small studio Obviously, as you mentioned, the AAA studios have much more expectation and weight on them. Currently, my small studio, I'm just nine to five. That's my hours. If stuff needs done, if there's deadlines to meet, I will stay after hours. But generally, I've been able to keep within those hours. That's important to me. So that's been good so far. But I think a lot of the times, especially in the gaming community, I feel like people have a slight sense of entitlement in that this is how I want the game to be when it comes out and I'm owed that because I'm the customer. If you want to buy the game, you can spend your money to pay for it, but you're not necessarily entitled to all these things you want. And I think people often forget that behind the game, there's thousands upon thousands of man hours that go into these games. So I think it's always good to keep that in mind. And just building on this, what impact has the pandemic and making everyone work from home had on you in your professional and your personal life, both gaming and music. So when lockdown initially came in, I was working from home. We're quite a small studio. So again, there wasn't a lot of people in the office. We still took the decision to work from home as a lot of other people in the office building did. For me personally, I don't like working at home. I prefer to be in the office, not just because of the social side of things. But for me, when I go to work, I go there to do work. And when I come home, I come home to be at home. When I was working from home, it felt like I was at work all the time. And that sucked. So it was only for about two, maybe three weeks. So I was getting pretty tired of it and eventually got back into the office, which was good. However, I will say that this whole thing of working from home, I think the pandemic has irreversibly changed that forever for everyone. And for some people, especially if you have a long commute or if you have family commitments at home, if everyone can collectively force companies to say, no, we're working from home because we can do the exact same job for the exact same pay in a different place, it's going to be really powerful for a lot of people who, if it's an hour into work on the train, that means it's an hour in their back every day, five days a week. That's 10 hours of your life a week gone. And for what? You're sitting on a train. If you can work at home, you can get all that time back with no repercussions. So I think for those kind of people, it'd be really powerful. And how do you balance your skill set as a game developer and a producer and DJ? Has one ever helped you develop the other or vice versa? Yeah, occasionally right now we are, I can't say much about the current projects at work, but we're doing a demo for the publishers. I've been asked to do some sound effects and some little bits of music here and there. So that's very nice. And obviously it's something good to have on the CV. And yeah, programming and game dev has certainly helped. As another creative avenue, I'm making my own game at the moment, which is quite a nice break and is an interesting thing to go through. So yeah, they kind of help each other in some ways. Our final topic of conversation, Ewan, and it's one I try and have with all my special guests, which is a general natter about our mental health. So firstly, circumstances excluding or including, how would you say your mental health is at the moment, mate? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. The pandemic has affected a lot of people. I feel quite lucky in that more than anything, I've still had a job. A lot of people have lost their jobs during this and my thoughts are with them. I'm very grateful to have what I have currently and more than anything I was just grateful to be able to work from home and keep on going because a lot of people right now can't. And if you felt comfortable saying what mental health issues do you live with if any you don't have to live with one to come on the pod and how do they affect you in your day-to-day life? 
I'd say there's not any major mental health issues, but for me, I'm not a nine to five person. Unfortunately, that's the way of the world that might change soon, possibly. But for me, I'm quite a heavy sleeper. I don't like to get up in the mornings, but I do it anyway because I got to go to work. So that can be quite fatiguing sometimes, but I get obviously holidays. It's important to take a break, all that good stuff. That can be a bit tiring sometimes, but I get through it. I take a holiday, I reset and my batteries are charged back up. And what things do you find in life that might trigger your mental health, i.e. things people might say, sounds, sensations, or have you not figured all of them out yet? One thing as an introvert I get quite a lot is, and I'm sure other introverts listening to this will be equally as annoyed when people say, oh, you, you don't talk much. You don't interact. It's like, ugh. people who are listening will know exactly what this is. But for me, looking at extroverts, of course, but you need both sides of the coin in any conversation. But I always want to reply, why do you talk so much? Huh? Why are you so loud? But of course, you can't say that because that's pretty abrasive. So that's one that gets on my nerves a little bit. Once I get into a new job, you settle in and you get more communicative with the people there. But I do get quite annoyed in that some people think if you're not opening your mouth every two seconds, you're not somehow interested in what's going on. I am still invested in what's going on. I'm just putting what is needed into the conversation and nothing more. So that's one that annoys me. (laughs) As a 19.5 out of 10 extrovert, I also get that completely the other way where people say, I can't believe you're so loud or tell me to shut up all the time. Or they'll say stuff like, are you happy all the time? I always find like, what are, the, are these people introverts or extroverts or are they it's somewhere in the middle? Because I always feel like they're saying stuff as if they're not one of the two. Yeah, I feel like it's important though for everyone to recognize that everyone has those biases and just be soft with how you approach dealing with it because everyone's different. So, And what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? Which ones have you found that have worked and maybe which ones that haven't? Having friends to chat to is always a key one. People in the Future Funk community and online certainly are my main friends group and they've been super good. I'm just blown away with how nice and welcoming the people in the community are. You speak to any of the artists, any of the people, if you need tips, you need feedback, they're on it. That's been the main key thing. Thankfully, my employers as well over the pandemic, they with the other employees there, they made sure that they had everything they needed to work from home. They were appreciative if working from home was getting to people and they offered just like an extra holiday off if they needed that so again that was really good to see from my employers toxic masculinity is something that we've alluded to already ewan and it's one we try and break down a lot on this pod what do you define as toxic masculinity and how do you think we tackle it i think one of the main things would be as again touching on rugby would be physical aggression i actually had an incident talking about this recently there was some incident going on near my street where someone wanted to fight someone or i guess you would term it a physical altercation he was going around punching windows he was off himself so i think aggression and generally physical aggression where people have not learned to deal with adrenaline and emotions as i had mentioned so i think learning to deal with those is is key i also talk a lot about this idea of positive masculinity you and hopefully in a few years masculinity will just be positive masculinity how would you define it and what qualities do you think a man should exude to have to be described as positively masculine do you think Again, touching on stressful situations, I had another one happen, which was, it was quite a while ago now, it was about a couple of weeks ago. I was walking down the street on the way back from work, 
and there was two people passed out in the middle of the pavement. This is crazy, okay? This is a crazy story. So I'm walking down. I see these two people. They're quite a way down. They're on the floor and they're not moving. And I see people, not just men, but women as well, everyone, walking past them as they are passed out on the floor. So I think a positive masculine thing is to step up and to do something in that situation. So I stopped by them. I leant down, you know, thankfully they were breathing, obviously, which is the main thing you check. I stepped up and I was like, yo, has anyone called an ambulance? There's two people passed out in the floor and there's people walking by. So then because of that, I was able to get a community officer who was nearby, thankfully. I actually get started to get other people to stop to eventually then call the ambulance. But to me, it was crazy that in a situation that could have been life-threatening, nobody had stepped up. Nobody had taken that initiative initially. And I think that's something everyone should do. I think in that example, it shows the good side and the bad side of London, to be honest. Why do you think historically men have struggled to express how they're feeling about their mental health or feelings in general? Has society taught us that it's not okay for us to show vulnerability or have we as men done it to ourselves, do you think? That's a very big question with a lot of complex answers and I'm not going to claim to know the answer because if I did, I'd probably be on the news tomorrow. But I think certainly growing up, it would maybe seem that adults say, big boys don't cry. That's the classic. That's the real classic. So I think stuff like that as to how you crucially educate people when they're young is really key. It's really key to educate people when you're young on this stuff so that they can take it forward and it doesn't become a vicious cycle. And just finally, Ewan, what more do we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or their mental health if they want to? just chat about it is the key thing having a support network of friends either online or in real life obviously i've just moved so the online aspect is super important for me and i think just talking about it is really the key thing more than anything else well we've come to the end of this episode of behind the decks i want to say a big thank you to ewan aka melanade for being my special guest on this episode letting me go behind the decks with him dreams we share my favorite track off melanade's self-titled album will play us out and as always i'll put some links to where you can follow melanade on social media and stream his music in the description of the pod as always thank you to all the vendors who tuned in remember if you've liked what you've heard please give this a share on all the usual social media channels tell your friends or work colleagues about it or if you're feeling very generous write us a review on itunes stay tuned for the next episode of behind the decks and remember it's always okay to vent